Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we're pulling out the spade and readying the ground as we start digging into what we love. What are you passionate about? What creates that exciting, anxious feeling, and what puts a smile on your face? Now, how often do you dig in and lose yourself in what you love? For many of us, for many of us, what we love is a mirage or a utopia. When we get everything else done and satisfy the needs of everyone else, we'll set off in search of this wonderful place. But unfortunately, that day never comes. And if we've been lucky enough to grab a glimpse, it's been fleeting. Well, today, let's agree to table the rest or stick a pin in the to-dos while we explore creative ways to bring what we love to the top of the list. Ready to pick up the picket sign saying, my happy place or bust? If you're like me, you spend the majority of your day getting ready for work, working, or unwinding from work. On the weekends, you're desperately trying to do anything but work, which usually means all the other work. The house, the children, the endless honeydews. Oh, don't get me wrong. I hear your world's tiniest record player playing, you're breaking my heart. And really, I'm not necessarily complaining. I actually love to work. Not in the way I love warm chocolate chip cookies, a good binge series, or a memorable 80s ballad. But I do enjoy my work. What I'm saying is, if I was put on the spot and asked what I love and how often do I do what I love, I might stumble and struggle for an eloquent answer. See, I'm always harping on finding a healthy balance because these topics are for me too. I continue to fight for a healthy balance. I'm getting better. And like with anything, a constant reminder and some new strategies are always helpful. So let's figure some stuff out. First, what do you love? When is the last time you explored this idea and were honest with yourself? Odds are what you love and are passionate about has changed over the years. Which, by the way, is normal. I mean, if I told you trading Barbies is what I love, you might look at me funny. But back in the day, it was a popular pastime. Today looks quite a bit different for me. I'm empty nested by five years, which as you know, is game changing. When ball games, dances, homework, dinners, and extracurricular were a focus, you had plenty of places to invest your energy. Now, totally exposed and free to choose, you have to dig deep and go within to see where you want to focus. For fun, Something spiritually satisfying or something you've never tried before. Sounds like we have a path. Let's also uncover the obstacles and address them for what they are. If they held you back before, then they will continue to do so if we don't hit them head on. Sound fair? Your passion could be something completely separate from your day job, or they could meld and become one in the same. So let's start by helping you find it before we can decide what to do with it. 
Liam Donahue helps us out with how to find your passion, four tactics for finding a fulfilling pursuit found at passion.io. We're always told that to be happy in life, you need to find your passion. But what does that mean? Passion isn't a physical object. It's not hidden under a rock or lurking around the corner. Passion is something within everyone, and it's unique to each individual on the planet. One person's passion is another person's pain. To paraphrase a famous saying, So if everyone's passion is unique and there's no physical journey we can go on to find it, how do we find our passion? Are some people destined to get lucky, find their passion at an early age, and live the dream? While others, less fortunate, are stuck in jobs they hate and resigned to a life of misery? Well, no. Finding your own passion is an inward journey, and it relies on looking at yourself and what you value in life. You need to ask yourself, what do you enjoy? What do you like doing? And how can you do more of it? If that sounds complicated, don't worry. We are going to cover some handy tactics and tips to get the search for your passion well underway. But before we dive into those tactics, it's vital that we have a clear understanding of what passion is. How can we recognize it in ourselves? And more importantly, what do we need to define what it is? So what is passion? Is it a job? Your dream career, an amazing city, or your significant other? Lots of literature out there will tie the idea of passion to a physical object or place, whether that location is your office or a city. Traditional thinking will tell you passion comes from gaining something or securing something. But all of those are wrong. Your passion is something that energizes you. If you get energized by doing your tax return, heaven forbid, that's a passion. Any task, hobby, or activity that makes you excited and want to do more of it is a passion. Your passion can be as simple as cooking a good breakfast on Sunday morning and listening to a podcast. If there's a part of your week or day that you always get really excited about, that's a passion. We must shake off the perception that passion is a big goal or object. Once you start identifying the everyday passions in your existence, you can begin to analyze them and figure out how they play a bigger role in your life. With the new understanding of passion at the forefront of your mind, these tactics will help you identify, actualize, and in some cases, monetize your passion. Number one, don't try and find your passion. Let it find you. That's pretty counterintuitive advice, but it works. So kick back, take a load off, and let your passion come to you. I'm only a little joking here, but the principle behind this tactic is great. Trying to find your passion means you'll constantly be searching for an undefined state of happiness. Believing your passion is just a job interview or a new house away will give you tunnel vision. It will stop you from appreciating what's happening in your life right now. That's what gives you energy. So, 
instead of focusing on hitting that next life milestone, look at your day or your week schedule and pinpoint what parts in it give you a load of energy. These parts of the day are probably activities you're passionate about. Once you have identified what parts of your day give you energy, you should figure out how to make them a bigger part of your life. In some cases, doing more of these activities could lead you to lose your passion for them, and that's fine. We can't be passionate about everything in big doses. So the key here is to keep tracking what you enjoy doing and working out ways to increase the time you spend doing these activities. You can test and explore these passions until you find something you can't help but do more and more. Once you've found something you could do all day without thinking, you've probably found your passion. Tactic number two, accept passion is fluid. Finding your passion isn't like the end of a Disney film. The happy couple rides off into the distance and their lives are set from that point on. Your passion can be fluid and ever-changing. For some people, the pursuit of a goal is their passion. Once they've reached that objective, in effect, they lose their passion. That doesn't mean they're doomed to live a passionless life. They just need to find another one. Mel Robbins provides a great anecdote that highlights this fluidity. Whatever energizes you naturally expands you feels like possibility, is exciting to do, it might be scary, but that doesn't matter. It has to do with how it makes you feel. When you were in your 20s, money made you feel good, and there's nothing wrong with that. It expanded you. It energized you. Chasing the money, that was the game. That was your passion. If what energizes you is amassing wealth, then go for it. If making money energizes you, figure out a way to make money. If making a difference energizes you, figure out a way to make a difference. It can be in any shape or form. And the really interesting thing about this is because passion equals energy, what you'll find is that it dissipates over time. When you first start making money, it's thrilling. But what happens is once you learn how to do something once, You can do it over and over. It starts to become routine, which means it's no longer energizing, which is why every entrepreneur out there goes through the mode of chasing the money, and then you hit the money that you need to hit, and then you say, I'm not fulfilled. Every entrepreneurial goes through that, and it's because they were energized by the money, and now they're not. Now, you've got to be energized by the next thing. That could be service, empowering others, making a difference. So she said, when I look back on my trajectory, the thing that energizes me is making people feel like they matter. But it wasn't always like that. Back in my 20s, it was probably money, and that's fine. It's normal for people's priorities and passions to change as they develop as people. For some individuals, their passions will never change, and lucky them. But for most of us, as we move through life, what was once important to us can become insignificant. This isn't something to be afraid of. It's just part of living. If you find yourself stuck in a rut, 
it could be time to analyze why you're not feeling energized anymore. You could uncover the energy for your old passion has disappeared and now you need to go back to tactic one and look at what's in your life now that gives you energy and then chase that. Tactic number three, allow yourself to be passionate. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but if you refuse to open your eyes to beauty, metaphorically speaking, you'll never see it. The same goes for your passion. We've been conditioned by society to think passion is a person, place, or thing. This leads us to believe our passion can only be achieved in very limited number of ways. A great job, a happy home, a nice car. How many times have you seen the cliche of the pushy parent? They force their children to be a doctor, a lawyer, as they believe this is the only way for them to have a fulfilled life. This traditional way of thinking about success can lead us to discard our passions as they are seen as frivolous or unsustainable. Stop playing video games, grow up, and get a job. When this mentality is ingrained into us, you stop seeing the passion right in front of you. The first step to overcoming this mental block is to tell yourself it's fine to enjoy the things you enjoy. To find your passion, you need to be open to it coming from any source. Mindset is key. Once you have this mindset, make sure you live it. Karina Gordon-Barnes, in her article about finding your passion, gives a really good example of this using a restaurant as an example. She says, if you go to a restaurant when you're adamant you're not hungry, nothing will satisfy you. The specials will seem bland and the food uninspiring. The same goes for finding your passion. If you can only view finding your passion through the lens of a great job or a big house, none of your everyday fun activities will feel worth exploring. You might actively look on them with disdain, and that's a crying shame. Tactic number four, be flexible in how you approach your passion. So, you found your passion, but is it a career, hobby, or business? It could be all three or none of those. As I've already mentioned, we were told to believe our passion needs to be a life-changing career move or an exciting new startup business. In fact, your passion could be something you pour your evenings and weekends into, and your job could be used to support your passion. Some people really enjoy a stress-free 9-to-5, All they want from their career is a decent salary and flexible hours to make their passion a reality. You might find that some passions can't be turned into careers. They could just be hobbies and that's fine too. What's important is that you're always doing something that gives you energy. Here are three questions to ask yourself. Question one. How many times have you been at a party and a friend or acquaintance is talking for hours about some niche or hobby? Beekeeping, knitting, model shipbuilding, for example. Something that you find totally uninteresting, yet you can't stop listening to. You're glued to every word. The passion in their voice is unshakable. Nobody else seems to be interested in what they're saying, but you're drawn to the way they're talking. This person has bored everyone else in the room to tears, but they haven't noticed. 
They keep chatting away because they love what they're talking about. This point leads us to the first question. How can you bore people at a party? We've all been there, stuck in the corner of a room listening to someone speak about their passion, trying to remain interested. But how often have you been the person doing the talking? Never? Look back and you'll probably find that on more than one occasion, you've been boring someone to tears at a party about a passion you love. Find that conversation. Was it DJing? Italian cooking? Rock climbing? There will 100% be a time when you've done this. If you can talk incessantly about something, that's a good indicator of what your passion is, or at least the beginning of a hunch. Next time you're at a party or making small talk, actively notice what topic you gravitate to. There are clues aplenty in them. Question two. Your local community wants to honor you with a statue. They've decided to erect it in the town square. It will be cast in gleaming bronze and set on a hill that will overlook the whole town. You're beside yourself with happiness. So humbled, you're getting recognized for your great achievements. But what achievements are they? What deeds do you want inscribed in granite for all the world to see long after you're gone? Do you want to be remembered for your charity work, sporting greatness, or business prowess? This is our second question. If society was erecting a statue for your achievements, what would they be? How do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? Thinking about the type of impact you want to have on the world is a good way to find your passion. On a very high level, it will begin to guide you down a career path or vocation that will help you achieve your goal. You want to be known as someone who eradicated poverty? Then charitable work could be a good thing to research. On a more day-to-day level, Thinking about the legacy you want to leave the world helps keep you motivated and driving towards your passion. It can help with decision-making as you think, which path will get me to my goal? How do you want to be remembered? A great question to ask if you want to find your passion. Question number three. That's it. You quit your job, paid off the mortgage, and booked a six-month holiday. You've just won the lottery. Let's not go into details about how much you've won, but put it this way, you'll never have to work again. The world is your oyster. Anything is possible. No debts, no doubt, no struggle. You're free. What do you want to do? If you're like me, you'll probably spend a year traveling, relaxing, and enjoying yourself. But what do you do after that? Life can't become one endless holiday. You'll need to find yourself a new purpose. This is the crux of our last question. What would you do if you won the lottery? When money isn't an object, you need to think hard about what you would do with it. Asking yourself this question is a great way to hone in on what you're passionate about. What would you spend an endless pile of money on? This is a great question to finding your passion. 
Often what we see constraining us from achieving our passion is the financial burden it would place on us. Remove this and you can begin to see what you love to do and start making a roadmap on how to realistically get there. Passion isn't a person, place, or thing. If you're looking for your passion, you'll never find it. Trying to chase someone else's idea of a fulfilled life will leave you stressed and miserable. The best course to take if you want to find your passion is to slow down. Look around you and ask yourself, what gives me energy in everyday life? You might find that your passion has been staring you in the face all along. Or that you've been refusing to acknowledge what you love as you've been busy in the rat race. Your passion can be anything or anywhere. And once we understand and accept that, we can all start living passionate lives. Oh boy, living a passionate life. That doesn't have to be a mirage. You see people who are passionate, enthusiastic about what they're doing and wanting to share. Your first thought is, I want whatever they had as if there is some sort of pill or cocktail to fuel their energy. Maybe they've tapped into something through a lot of digging and soul-searching. They've done the work, and now they're reaping the benefits. Maybe your purpose and passion won't come with a knock at the door or a you've-got-mail alert. Maybe it's something you have to go find with effort and resilience. So what's getting in your way? Oh, All the stuff you have to do for everyone else, right? You're the glue, right? What if you let go of some control and allowed the people in your life to go on their own exploration while you set off on yours? No, you're right. It's not that easy, but it can be essential for you and for them. Nikki Moberly teaches us how to let go of control and free up some headspace Found at BetterUp.com. Letting go of control is hard. There you go. We said it. In times of uncertainty, people feel safer when they feel like they have a sense of control. This often leads to attempts to control outcomes, situations, others' reactions, or the environment. The more uncertain the situation, the more people cling to attempts to control. Guess what? In reality, the opposite is true. To experience the greatest sense of calm, peace of mind, and agency over one's destiny, there is a shift needed in this thinking. The shift is toward a mindset that focuses on self-efficacy rather than on controlling external factors. Self-efficacy is the belief that we can do what needs to be done no matter what is in front of us. It demonstrates confidence in our own abilities to persevere through challenges. This shift requires us to let go of controlling outcomes. The focus instead is on our inner world or mindset, outlook, or emotional regulation. Let's discuss how to let go of control, why it's important, and five simple steps to add it to your life. Once you realize you cannot control external events, your energies can be placed elsewhere. You can focus on the only thing that you have control over, your responses, your mindset, your attitude, and your outlook. By letting go of controlling external factors, you increase confidence in yourself. 
This leads to improvements in physical and emotional health and a greater sense of strength and mental fitness. You will experience increases in performance at work and more joy and freedom. Letting go of what you cannot control also opens the door to exciting or interesting possibilities that you've never envisioned. There's an art to surrendering. Surrendering to the unknown can be scary. To most, surrender signals vulnerability. This is rooted in the belief that we know the right path and we know how to get there. But what happens in the face of the unexpected or the unfixable? These are things like a pandemic, the illness or death of a loved one, or a significant change in your work. In fact, it takes strength and courage to surrender. Dr. Amy Johnson is a psychologist, coach, author, and founder of the Little School of Big Change. She describes surrender as the complete acceptance of what is plus faith that all is well, even without my input. Don't you love that? Surrender literally means to stop fighting. Stop fighting with yourself. Stop fighting with the universe and the natural flow of things. Stop resisting and pushing against reality. She continues that surrender is not about inaction. It's about taking action from the place of surrender energy. Bridges was an American author, speaker, organizational consultant, and expert in change. Leaders have used the Bridges Transition Model for over 30 years. The Bridges Transition Model helps determine the difference between external and internal factors which affect your uncertainty. Change is defined as external events. These include downsizing or reorganizations, illness, death, changes in social connection or community. Transition refers to the inner work that people do to process change and allow them to reorient in the face of change. Bridges emphasizes that success comes from focusing on the inner transition. That is, to realize true success, one must focus on inner work. Personal growth comes from working throughout a difficult situation, pushing through your comfort zone, and embracing the emotions, positive or negative, that are part of growth. The Bridges Transition Model includes three phases. Number one, endings. Transition starts with letting go. This first phase of transition begins when people identify that an ending has occurred and name their losses. There may be overt losses and hidden losses. For example, a new job may also mean the loss of an old identity or loss of former colleagues. This is where you determine what to let go of and what to hold on to. You may have things you hold on lightly, some that you hold on tightly, and some that you let go of because they're not serving you anymore. Without going through the assessment process and having the courage to let go, many people just get stuck here. Number two, 
the neutral zone. The next step of transition comes after letting go. This is the neutral zone, or in the in-between time when the old is gone, but the new is not yet fully realized. Here's where you're learning who you are in the new reality, perhaps mourning your old self and discovering how to be in the new beginning. The neutral zone is not a predetermined length. Many people make the mistake of rushing through the neutral zone because of discomfort or the uncertain of the unknown. This is where the magic of letting go takes root and reveals new possibilities. You discover the new you, what you love, what you want to do more of, and what you want to stop doing. And number three, new beginnings. Beginnings involve new understanding, new values, new attitudes. You realize your new identity. Well-managed transitions allow you to establish new roles with an understanding of your purpose. You'll understand better the part you play and how to contribute to the new world. Many people jump right into the new beginning, like with a new job, without considering the ending or going through the neutral zone. This can lead to decreased satisfaction with the new role. Time spent on endings and in the neutral zone is crucial to successful transitions. Letting go is more of an art than a science. But there is good news. You can learn skills to support your transitions through change and uncertainty. These practices support you in knowing what to hold on to and what to let go of. Letting go, again, is more of an art than a science. And I teased you with maybe some skills and things you can use to support you through the transitions of change. Number one, focus on what you can control. You can't control external events or others' reactions. Let me repeat that. You can't control external events or others' reactions. You only have agency over your mindset, attitudes, responses, and reactions. You need to learn to trust that the things that are out of your control will happen as they do and will generally work out for the best. There are a few different ways to build this trust, and different methods work for everyone. For some, religious faith helps them relinquish control. Others put their trust in the universe or fate. Others have learned from experience that most things out of their control tend to resolve themselves positively. They may decide to put their trust in pure statistical evidence. But do what works for you. Number two, don't rush through the transition. Fully embrace endings and name your losses, even if they're failures. Think about what to hold lightly, what to hold tightly, and what to let go of that no longer serves you. Practice letting go of a stated outcome and instead allow options and possibilities to enter your mind. This is where your new beginnings might form right in front of your eyes. Number three, be in the reality. You may not like the change around you, but ignoring it won't change it or support you in managing through the transition. 
Adopt a mindset that fully acknowledges the new reality. Don't ask yourself how you can change it back. Instead, ask yourself, now that this has happened, how will I respond? Number four, identify your triggers. Identifying the triggers that make you want to control external events gives you information. You can then use interventions to disrupt your thought process and shift your mindset. Notice tension in your body or an increase in anxiety in your responses. This is a particularly useful technique for dealing with painful feelings related to trauma. It helps you to avoid a circumstance that might trigger a stress response. Take action to relax and calm your body and mind. Number five, get in touch with you. There are many practices that open space for your mind to process the change. These support your efforts towards a successful transition. It's not important which one you choose, except that you choose one that works for you. So here are a few ideas about that. Practice mindfulness meditation to stay in the present moment. Use a positive affirmation as a source of inspiration and to control negative thoughts. Do what brings you joy, where you lose track of time. Spend some time outside in nature. Do some physical exercise that you enjoy. Practice mindful breathing. Meet up with friends or loved ones and focus on building a meaningful relationship. Do something new. Allow yourself to dream of potential futures and calmly observe how you feel when pondering these possibilities. It's time to let go of control. It can be easy to want to take control of everything in your life. The problem is, if you don't learn how to let go, then you might soon find yourself overrun with fear, anger, and negative emotions. You may struggle to manage all of your commitments and controlling behaviors. Keep in mind these five steps to letting go and moving past your control issues. You'll find yourself filled with happiness and inner peace. Focus on what you can control. Don't rush through the transition. Be in the reality. Identify your triggers. Get in touch with you. Boy, letting go of control is a tough one. At least it was for me. Because first you have to recognize that you're controlling. If you still believe that you're helping everyone and saving the day and that they, meaning everyone, couldn't do it without your input, then you aren't there yet. Just like the burning question, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it really make a sound? If you've never questioned your behavior then it doesn't exist. And you'll go on and believe that you're the hero when all the while you're preventing them, remember everyone, from becoming who they are destined to be as well as yourself. Would they be able to find their passion, purpose, and what they love without my help? Could I? Then step back, allowing them time and space to figure it all out Why you dig deeper into what you love.
looks like we have some time to hit the highlights. Number one, passion is something within everyone and it's unique to each individual on the planet. Number two, your passion can be fluid and ever-changing. Number three, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but if you refuse to open your eyes to beauty, you'll never see it. Number four, thinking about the type of impact you want to have on the world is a good way to find your passion. Number five, the world is your oyster. Anything is possible. No debts, no doubt, no struggle. You're free. What do you want to do? Number six, your passion can be anything and anywhere. And once we understand and accept that, we can all start living passionate lives. Number seven, a shift needs to happen towards a mindset that focuses on self-efficacy rather than on controlling external factors. Number eight, focus on our inner world of mindset, outlook, and emotional regulation. Number nine, letting go of what you cannot control also opens the door to exciting or interesting possibilities that you've never envisioned. And number 10, surrender equals the complete acceptance of what is plus faith that all is well, even without my input. share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you today, make a commitment to explore your passion and dig into what you love. Shift your focus from worry and control to self-exploration and celebration. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's through until the path was clear. That's when I found you.